Welcome to the Business Brothers Podcast with Pradeep and Harjeet Sangha. If you are an entrepreneur, own your own business, or are part of a family business, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the Business Brothers Podcast. My name is Pradeep Sangha, one of the co-founders and CEO of Business Brothers. And today I'm pretty excited here to have a good friend of mine on, as well as an expert in a particular area, which I think is very relevant for today's, you can say, age or the the timing that we are going through coming out of COVID and some of the challenges that people are facing, especially those in in family businesses. So I'd like to welcome Parmjeet Singh here. He is the founder of Passing Clouds. And Passing Clouds, they focus on essentially helping corporations, businesses, um, executive teams improve their mental health, improve their emotional health, improve their their, uh, physical health in a number of different ways. I'm going to have Parmjeet talk about how he does that. But Parmjeet, welcome to the show here today. Thank you, Pradeep, for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, I'm always glad uh, you and I actually had lunch yesterday and we were chatting about this podcast. I always have uh, a great time chatting with you because we talk about some very deep topics. And one of the big topics that's coming about today uh, is mental health. It's been talked about for a while now, but I think it's becoming more prevalent because of the conversations um, or the challenges that people have faced coming through COVID. And knowing that the audience is primarily family business owners, there's a different layer on top of this as well, because now we're mixing business with family, which can be you know stressful by itself. And then you add COVID and all these other pressures. Um, I know that you have your theory when it comes to what stage we're at right now with mental health, and perhaps things may get worse. But maybe you can tell the audience a little bit about why you chose to get into this field or why you chose to create Passing Clouds? So thank you, Pradeep. Uh, I think my sense of where we are at, uh, that will show up in our conversation later. But uh, let me answer your basic question. How did I come to choose this? So my training, I started in, in sciences. In my undergraduate, I was interested in human mind. I, I at one point, I actually trained, wanted to become a microbiologist. But I end up in psychology because I loved the human mind. And I went into it because I was always interested, you know, if you have a control or master of your mind, it's the best ally you can have. And if you don't, it's the worst enemy. It's the enemy in the house. It is. It destroys you within you. You don't need any enemies outside of you if your mind is not really at the same page as you are. So I was always fascinated by it. So I went into psychology. I found that most of the thing we did in our master's psychology was very generalized. They were very theoretical. They have no bearing whatsoever to my understanding in real life. And in order to actually... Uh, override that I did my PhD in sports psychology. So I worked with athletes and their cognitive performance. What really made an athlete good athlete? What kind of faculties and facilities they utilized? And moving from there, uh, I went to do my postdoc in Australia in cognition and exercise and endurance. And at that time, I also was introduced by my mentor who is, who retired a professor from, uh, uh, Florida State University now, about the idea of expertise, what makes people expert. 
And then with that, I came to McMaster to do my postdoc uh, in the area of expertise development and all sort of things. But during that time, I always had wonderful conversation with people. People came to me for certain, uh, you can say advice, even though I don't want to, I feel always antsy about saying that. Uh, and then at one point doing all this, somebody suggested me that if people come to you for tips and uh, advice, why don't you start your own stuff? And I would say in, in a nutshell, that's how the passing clouds came to be. Uh, we, we had a couple of other entities before that, but we ultimately settled into the passing clouds because that really epitomized what we thought about life. That passing cloud is that, you know, the clouds, the obstacles come and go, but if you have trained mind, you can withstand the challenges of life. So passing clouds has a kind of a more a spiritual meaning to us, that things come and go. Is it Everything is temporary. And if you have the skills to stand tall during those difficult times, especially mental skills, uh, then you are going to withstand the adversity and then maybe even transform into your real life. So that's how it all came to be. So that's uh, the whole, every time I think of passing clouds, it's not only instructive to me that we all go through difficult times and it teaches that, okay, things will pass. That things are temporary. Nothing stays here for forever, neither the good nor the bad. Mm -hmm. And essentially, that's how I built my leadership development and emotional development and self-development program on that simple premise. And another aspect of it, I always have been practicing meditation in one shape and form. But many years back, I went kind of very sincerely into Vipassana, which is a insight meditation uh, and out of which mindfulness has the modern version of Vipassana is actually uh, what we call uh, the mindfulness. So I, I synthesized my professional training, my personal interest, and the things I did to stay sane when I came as an immigrant together to build this kind of a program. So it's a very uh, kind of a street level, practical, no-nonsense. It's all experiential. I invite people uh, that you be skeptical of what we I do here because, you know, I haven't self-interest in it. But you can test the value of this program by by experiencing it, by testing it. And if you find after testing it, it is useful, adopt it. If not, don't waste your time on it. So mm -hmm. that's essentially the philosophical framework uh, behind this program I offer to the corporates, which essentially focus on emotional health, leadership skill development, personal development, self-development, and obviously a preventive way to manage your mental health and physical health. So what kind of results do you see or what kind of results can someone expect in getting into your program as they go through it and eventually graduate or complete it and then continue on with the practices? What what are the things that they benefit from or result in from your program? One of the striking benefits that come from going through this program is that at one level, you get a kind of self-mastery. Uh, a sense of mastering yourself, your mental landscape, your physical landscape, your spiritual landscape, if you're spiritual by any nature or by any means. And the second one is that the skills we teach is a kind of a dual purpose skills or multi-purpose skills. You know, if you are calm and collected and even keeled, 
you can become collected in your relationships and that can save you a lot of heartburn especially mm-hmm. in family relationship and similarly the same calm collectedness can help you become a good businessman or woman for that matter because the mind you are going to use to stay present and calm and collected while you're talking to your spouse or your kids is going to come in play when you are dealing with your clients or difficult conversation with your with your stakeholders so one of the beauty of our program is that you get two in one or maybe multiple in one kind of you learn one skill and it is translatable and transferable to every single context of life and that has been not only my own Uh, emphasis on this we know from research that if you learn certain kind of skills they translate and transform only to a specific domain mm-hmm. but these skills like mindfulness based skills or meditation related skills or emotionally uh, trainable skills they are translatable to every single aspect of your life so you get lot more bang for your buck it's it's actually maximization of your return over uh, investment over the period of time So I tend to think that's one of the the, the major benefit of doing program similar to us is because you get self mastery and then by doing so you in fact not only increase the probability of success in business your transactions relationships and anything that comes in that domain. Mm-hmm. And and you have a theory in, in terms of where we're at right now. I know a lot of people are stressed out. People are uh, easing off the stress by going traveling and we're seeing a lot of that uh, at this particular time it's December of 2022 and a lot of people are traveling airlines are packed and luggage is being lost and all this you know upheaval in in terms of flights and, and vacations um what's your theory what are your thoughts in terms of where people are in terms of stress levels because this is something that I've been monitoring with the work that we do and we know that a lot of people are getting stressed and we work particularly in the business sector and we're seeing that higher levels of anxiety stress um and we're not necessarily seeing stress resilience or coping mechanisms keep up track or keep on track with the increase in stress so what are you seeing and what's your thought in terms of where people are from a stress perspective and i think this is very important because for those of the audience members listening to this understanding that being an entrepreneur is stressful in itself then you add on the family self uh, layer as i mentioned before having kids being in a marriage all of these things all these factors impact your business performance so i, I i'd like for you to share your thoughts in terms of where we are as a society when it comes to stress depression um suicide as well mental health challenges uh, i i think i have a uh... I have more grossest way of putting it in a way if you allow me to say that uh, I think we are at this stage what we call psychologically constipated um which means that things are going to get worse in the coming months people are in kind of false sense of normalization process that you know pandemic is p- petering out or tapering off at least or people are more comfortable with this kind of a whole experience of pandemic but that does not deny the fact that people have been in the survival mode for long period of time for the past 2 years and add to that the inflation uh, the economic indicators arising and trust rate people's own responsibilities all sort of things are coming together so even if you feel that people are slightly unwinding during summer i tend to think it's a kind of a blip in the whole thing once fall hits 
you will see this uh, a very different kind of a very intense experience of more mental health issues because now people are in a kind of a distraction mode mm-hmm. they they are traveling or at least they have the choice to travel if not outside of the country but within the country the weather is nice uh, you are not feeling the gloomy november days uh, but it is it is a, i tend to think even if people have been talking about uh, the the mental health kind of a storm i tend to think this is the lull before the storm and it is going to sh- it is going to linger around long before we have stopped talking about a pandemic because uh, usually the wear and tear on mind has a long term impact uh, you we can you can go on this kind of a survival mode for a long period of time and then once all the all the parameters or guardrails are taken off then people feel uh, that kind of a, you know that uh, stress response coming uh, and because there's no distraction after fall comes in people will be traveling less they will most likely have to return to their office space and all sort of things are going to show up and mental health is going to be one of the issues which uh, people don't know how to deal with and it was always there i think it's a incorrect to say that it's a something new uh, the lifestyle we live is a one of the major risk factor for mental health issues mm-hmm. uh, just on that note when you're saying mental health i think sometimes there's a stigma and there's been research uh, that's been out lately that has talked about when you use the word mental health what does that actually do does it actually promote a positive feeling towards it or a neutral feeling or does it create more of a stigma and what they're showing now is when you say mental health when someone you uses that term that um it actually creates a negative stigma so it's really interesting to see how what was originally meant to be a positive for society is actually starting to hurt people because anxiety depression all of these challenges fall within mental health. So, sorry, go ahead, Parmji. No, no, please, please finish. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think when we take a look and we talk about this, this is stuff that, what I want to say, my personal perspective is this is something that's normal. Everybody goes through some period of anxiety, whether it's a short term or extended period of time, everybody goes through depression. I've personally been in depression myself years ago. I learned coping mechanisms to make sure that I don't get back into depression. Uh, and so everybody feels like it. Uh, and although a lot of times we have diagnosed depression levels, we don't necessarily have undiagnosed stats. And a lot of people have challenges. And a lot of people are actually facing depression because we've worked with a, a lot of these entrepreneurs and they don't even know it. So there's still an awareness issue, a self-awareness issue when it comes to mental health. Yeah, I think to your point, we need to talk about mental health similar the way we talk about physical health. We don't mm-hmm. feel st- stigma when somebody is diagnosed with a physical ailment because we tend to think of physical body as different than mental stuff. Mm-hmm. And and partly there's a reason because physical body you can touch it you can feel it you can move it it occupies a special space and space and time but that's not true with the mind because mind is something unseen untouched unmeasured we don't know what we are talking about everybody has a different way to conceptualize human mind but regardless of all those kind of differences i think having conversation especially wholesome conversation about mental health is one way to destigmatize it why people feel when they are diagnosed with depression 
or sadness or something like that, a, a kind of personal failure. And part of the reason I tend to think, the reason why people think that way is because uh, the the scope of mental health and illnesses have been increasing. And there's a kind of a skepticism about how these things are diagnosed and treated. And most of the time, uh, we do not want to uh, talk about, sorry, no. We do not want to talk about these things in in a kind of a, in a good way. So whenever we think about depression or anxiety or something, we tend to think of as a personal failure and whenever, and we don't want to feel that way. And then to the point of the the definition has been broadening for a very long time, uh, that also has created a kind of skepticism because everything is now getting progressively medicalized Mm -hmm. and then there's a skepticism about the pharmaceutical industry, what is their vested interest is. So all these factors do not create a kind of a conducive situation for us to talk about mental health in a wholesome way. And I think the one of the way to destigmatize is to have a wholesome idea about mental health and making a clear distinction. There's an interventional part of the mental health, which may require psychiatrist, uh, psychiatric intervention, medical intervention, and that there is a need for that. But there's also part of the mental health, which is preventative, which happens because of the accelerated wear and tear of the kind of mental attitudes we have, lifestyle we live in, uh, our own idea about how the capitalism work and all sort of things. These are the accelerant wear and tear on the mind, which we should talk about because I think they often have a much more relevance to the large uh, number of population or large swath of population. And because it both thing, whenever you think of mental health, we, we bring those interventional and preventative part together that it stigmatize, stigmatize the conversations. And more than that, it actually creates a kind of a confusion among people. And then people who need to be helped by those interventions, medical interventions, don't get helped because they are caught up in a different kind of conversation. And people who could simply get helped by using preventative methods, which you can do at at home, in your workplace, within your family members, don't get that kind of traction and and they lose out on them. Then that put them at the risk of the latter part, the second, which requires medical intervention. Mm, Yeah, very very good points. There's two things that actually stand up for me there. The first one is when you talked about psychiatry. And I didn't know up until recently, uh, through a family member, who is in psychiatry that that whole discipline is based on pharmaceuticals. And it was really interesting. And I, I asked him like, well, what do you mean? It's all based on pharma, pharmacological, however you want to pronounce it, um, studies. And it's all about prescriptions and prescribing. Uh, and I didn't know that. And I guess the backbone is, is that a lot of these programs in psychiatry are actually funded by and all the research is done by these pharmaceutical companies. And therefore, there's a big push towards um, when we talk about mental health, prescribing certain things for conditions. And I want to be real. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think, you know, when you talked about uh, being proactive and prevented preventative measures. I think that's good. We, we need to focus more on that, on the physical challenges that people have, the physical health uh, ailments that they have. My wife's background is all in functional medicine, which is all about preventative. Um, whereas in general, you can say the, the system that doctors follow is more, um, you know, let's let's deal with the situation after 
rather than actually preventing it. And so I think we have to, as a society, focus more on preventative measures. So I, that is very important, especially as entrepreneurs, because you know when, when we hit that burnout point, when we hit that anxiety point of high-level anxiety or panic attacks, which is actually very common, um, I speak to a lot of people, mainly men, but actually a lot of women as well, who feel like they're having a heart attack, uh, but they're actually having panic attacks. And they've been diagnosed with a panic attack and because there's some situation that they've gone through th- throughout life that's caused them to be super highly anxious. Um, but preventing is so important. I can't stress that enough for entrepreneurs to have a healthy lifestyle and a routine, not just from a physical standpoint, but from a mental perspective and an emotional perspective, because I've seen people not recover when they've hit what I call the brick wall. Because if you go fast enough and you hit the brick wall, sometimes you just can't repair the things. I've had uh, people that have had strokes, heart attacks, and they just can't. The doctor has said, you cannot increase your stress level past this point. Before, they might have been able to deal with an 8 or a 9 out of 10 in terms of stress. Now they can't go past a 4. Otherwise, it could be potentially deadly. So... Uh, what kind of stuff are you seeing enough of the preventative stuff when you're working with the corporate worlds or executives or businesses? Do you think that it's it's top of mind for them? I don't think it is that people want to, but then they are oftenly co-opted by the pressures of productivity. Because in a corporate environment, doing is a lot more important, or at least being seen doing something, even if it is actually unproductive in the long scheme of things, is a lot more productive, at least quote-unquote, in the terms of corporate productivity and bottom line than doing something which may increase their performance and productivity and a resistance to failures or resistance to breakdowns over the period of time. Can you so repeat that? Actually, I think I think that's sorry to interrupt, but I think you said something that's actually very important there. Uh, you said some, doing nothing is actually doing something. Those weren't the exact words, but can you repeat that? Yes, exactly. It means I think we are our society. This is a fundamental flaw, which I would say triggers, sustains, and exacerbate a lot of mental and physical health problems because we are so obsessed with doing. Uh, whatever that could be. Uh, But if you think about, if you think about revolutionary systems, non-doing is a lot more important. Non-doing is where you recover. Non-doing is where you think and reflect. Non-doing is where you sleep so that your brain can rest, so that you can, you can, your body can recover and be prepared for the next day. Non-doing is where the quality of, I, I often say that quality of your non-doing determines the quality of your doing. But there's absolutely no conversation about non-doing in corporate world. And to the point, in fact, I remember a few years back in the first year of medicine class, I taught, uh, we were having conversation about that. Why? Uh, and the conversation was that sometime not doing something is the smartest thing you can do. But you need to know what not to be done. And that requires a wisdom, that requires a kind of a reflectiveness, that requires a little bit of foresight. But oftenly we are so caught up in doing, 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 filling up all calendars that we miss the, miss the 
the the forest for the tree. Can and I just jump in there? Because I, I think that's yeah. that's really important. I want to make this relevant to our audience here because I see this a lot in the family business world where the first generation has built their business by doing, by extreme work ethic, by sacrifice. And what ends up happening is when they see their children, the next generation, sometimes taking vacations, sometimes using the money, going to restaurants, enjoying the fruits of the labor, sometimes that founding generation doesn't see the benefit in that. And there's a criticism to say, hey, look, we never used to take these vacations. We sacrificed. We did all this. Why are you taking downtime? That's not how we built this business. And that's not what's going to help continue to grow the business. What's your, what would be your comments or what would be your feedback when, if you saw something like that? Because it is prevalent in the family business community. This is one of the core things that the founding generation feels and where the next generation is challenged because they're like, we don't want to work 24 seven like you guys did. There's a reason why we want to be in business and that's to have a lifestyle. What are your thoughts on that, Parmjit? I think there's a, it needs to be actually explained properly. I think the, the one of the, there's a generation, I think intergeneration uh, communication gap. The second one is the generation who built the business, they came from a different ecosystem. They were more robust. I tend to think, and, and I may be biased here, but I tend to think the previous generations were a lot more robust physically, mentally, because they went through a lot of tough circumstances and those tough circumstances actually diversified them. And that's why they, in fact, uh, they survived and they did all the things they could do. The, the other generation, now we have to understand that you cannot apply the same philosophy to these because people, these people have born and grown up in a different ecosystem. The ecosystem, which I don't think it is robusty by people very much. It actually, it makes them a lot more fragile because there's a lot more comfort attached to the things. There's a lot more convenience and comfort and convenience oftenly, as much as we desire, have a negative side. Uh, I think we spoke about that the famous quote of the Lebanese poet Gibran, that verily the, the, the lust for comfort kills the, the passion of the soul and then walks grinning in the funeral. And that's a beautiful illustration how convenience and comfort can actually come uh, to cost us a lot. Mm -hmm. So when these people, uh, the, the new generation is taking vacations, I think it, it needs to be either way in a balanced way. So I don't think there's a one way you can do. So I often think about it that what would I tell my kids? Uh, who have a very different idea about that because they have born into a different system, both ecosystem, psychological system, financial system, and they don't see the life the way I see. They don't see the life as a first generation immigrant sees. So they're obviously not going to think about the idea of work, work ethics as I see. So what is the best way moving forward? And I keep on telling, for example, my daughter is going to university this year. And I keep on telling that, remember, you have, there are certain things you will like to, uh, what we call, customize as moving forward. But there's a very basic ideas of life. 
they were true 100 years back, they were true 1000 years back, they will most likely be true in, in 1000 years to come. So you have to figure out how you can work with those things. So people going for vacations, uh, people not taking uh, enough interest in businesses is a big problem. And I think that's a, one of the bigger stressor in the family businesses, because parents or whosoever built the business feel entitled and maybe rightly so, that you are going to destroy what I have built. But the second generation is looking at the business from a different perspective because they, they have not gone through the pains of building something ground up. Mm-hmm. So they don't see that what would happen in 20 years or 30 years. And maybe because of that, most of the family businesses fall apart within two, three generations except some, but most because people don't take on trust. And then obviously there's another idea about it that some of the kids may not be even interested in what, you know, you want to do. My brother has a, has a good business back in India. His kids are not least interested in his business. Uh, and you can, you, you can take the horse to the water, but you can't really make the horse to drink water. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a big problem in family businesses. Yeah, that's actually another big stressor when it comes to family business. And the approach that I see a lot of families take is ignoring. So the family will go through, they'll build a great business, and then there's an assumption made that the next generation is going to take it over. And a lot of the times, that assumption, um, it doesn't bode well. And it doesn't bode well for a number of reasons. A, you um, you can't put expectations on your children that are unfair. If they don't have interest in the business, perhaps they don't have the skill in the business, uh, it can challenge them as well. And on the flip side, what I also see a lot of stress come from, from the next generation, is taking on the business. And let's not kid ourselves. I think as founding generation, because we work with all generations uh, as advisors, the founding generation feels like they have a lot more stress on their side because they've sacrificed, they've built a business. Um, you know, they have they've had to put in the hard work to build a business. And they believe that the next generation has it easy. And the next generation actually has a, a level of stress that the founding generation doesn't fully understand. And that is the stress of taking on a successful business from their parents. And that can cause even greater stress because now they are hoping and not wanting to screw up everything that their parents work so hard for. And they might not have the skill. They might not have the resilience. They might not have the same talent as as their parents did to build a business. And now they are stressed out because all of these expectations are being put on their shoulders. No, you're absolutely right. I think one of the fundamental uh, problem in the family business transitions and transfers is that misplaced expectations. You know, if you were to actually hand over the business to your kids or I have to hand over the stuff I do to my to our kids, that's an unfair expectation because my expertise is not translatable. And so it might be yours. In some cases, yes. You know, for example, if you run a store or if you have a physical business, but again, running a business requires a specialized set of skill set. Mm-hmm. And unless those kids are actually equipped with that, that's an unfair assumption and expectations from the founders to uh, to have their kids take over just seamlessly. That's one thing. The second thing is that, to your point, um, the stressors of today's are very different than the stressors were 
say for 30 years or 40 years back. Ever since the rise of free market economy, things have changed. The way we negotiate things have changed. The way the companies are built and run have changed. The, the our work ethics have changed. Uh, interpersonal relationships have changed. Loyalties have changed. And so founders are actually thinking about all those things because they assume all those things still exist without realizing that the the structure of the environment in which the business is going to happen in the next 30, 40, 50 years is no longer the same as was happening 50 years back. And that adds to a stress which uh, the new generation will feel it, but the old generation cannot anticipate it. And I think that miscommunication adds to the, the anxiousness or the angst from both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good point, sir. I think you've You've hit the nail on the head there. So what is your, do you have a last point for the audience here? I know we're coming up to time here in terms of whether it's mental health, preventative measures, having effective communication. Um, What's your last message to the family business owners out there listening to this? So so, uh, the very simple way to put this all together, if you want to prevent uh, the incidences in the future, uh, two things are very important. When you're thinking about physical health uh, and when you're thinking about mental health and spiritual health, I leave it to you because everybody has their own faith and they can abide in it. They can reject. So physical body benefit by moving. Okay. And human mind benefit by resting. You have to have both these together in order to, to benefit. And it's a very inexpensive investment. You, Unless you're trying to become a bodybuilder, you don't have to hit the gym in the way, you know, if you want to move the body, body is meant to be moved. And human mind functions well when you rest it. If you keep these two things together, you have one of the most important variables to preventing the incidences, both in physical health and mental health in the long scheme of things. Wow. You know, what a powerful way to close off this episode because you're absolutely right. Um, The rest is much needed and very beneficial, especially again, we we come back to being a business owner. I know you're listening out there and be like, yeah, but I got to get, you know, after this podcast, I got to get this done or I got to go with my next meeting or I got to make my the next sale. And so you've heard Parmjeet in terms of resting your brain. It's very important. Keep your physical body active. Parmjeet, where can people find out more about the work that they do if they want to get a hold of you or that you do? So, yeah, so we have a, a fully functioning website. It's a paramjeetsingh.com. So my full name.com. You can find videos, research, links to the latest research in the terms of mental health, physical health, mindfulness, we have a YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us. And we do podcasts. Uh, so any way we can help, you can reach out to us. We'll be happy to have a conversation. Uh, but one of the most important things, you still have it. If you go and rest and move the body, it will keep you out of trouble for a very long time. Great. Thank you so much, Parmjeet. And thank you for listening to another episode of Business Brothers. We will catch you next time. Take care. Thank you, Pradeep. Thank you for tuning in to the Business Brothers Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you, and until next time.